On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Today we have Ashley Jarmack, woodwind specialist. New York-born, Los Angeles-based, Ashley has worked with a list of who's who in the biz, including but not limited to Michael Buble, Andrea Bocelli, Camila Cabello, Lionel Richie, and has made appearances on such shows as The Voice, American Idol, the American Music Awards, and League of Legends. The coolest part is I got to meet Ashley working on a project for Netflix called Maya and the Three, and animated series that will be coming out pretty soon so keep your eyes and ears peeled for that with our esteemed colleague tim davies who has also been a guest here on the career musician podcast tim is a fantastic composer and arranger and he connected the dots right here on this episode with ashley jarmack and on that note (laughs) ashley jarmack welcome to the career musician podcast Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. No, I'm just saying you were just sitting here talking about Joe Rogan and how cool he is and how much you like his podcast. And then you were like, I don't know, Nomad, maybe your podcast isn't as cool as Joe's, but I'll have to see. I mean, that's exactly what I said verbatim. (laughs) 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 Now you've told everybody what I've said. No, I don't know. (laughs) The secret's out. No, I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Absolutely. We're excited to have you. So ironically, I love the story of how we met. And, and I think a lot of career musicians, we can all relate to this. Well, a lot of us can relate to this. We, we played together, never met. We were on the same session for many, many episodes of a TV show that's coming out on Netflix mm-hmm. with uh, amazing uh, composer Tim Davies. Woo, Tim. Yay, Tim. And by the way, <laughs> Tim has done the podcast. Cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Uh, so uh, you and I ended up doing nine episodes together, countless cues. Yes. And we just didn't know it. Countless cues. And then at the rap party, yeah. we finally met. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I had no idea who you were. And actually, interestingly enough, we both were confused on how to get in the, into the building together. So even better. That's right. <laughs> we're down there in, in West Hollywood. We're like, where's the door? The, yeah. Those apartments are so chic down there. It's like, you can't even find the door. No, no, exactly. So we showed up at the same time. That was quite fun. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was great. All right. Well, good times. So uh, you play the flute traditionally, but you play so many other instruments. Is that right? Can we start there maybe? Yes. So actually, my first instrument was saxophone. Okay. So, um, but yeah, but I play saxophone, flute, clarinet, oboe, English horn, and a whole slew of world instruments or so instruments from around the world, however you want to call them. Yeah. Right. So it's safe to say woodwinds, mm-hmm. and then these other world instruments that are also kind of in the woodwind family. They're oftentimes? absolutely in the woodwind family. Okay. Just. I mean, I could start listing all the flutes from India and China and Africa and Latin America, and, and but right. it just gets to be too long of a list. So if I kind of say all-encompassing, like flutes from around the world or things like that, and, and I do actually play some other reeded instruments from around the world as well, but it's woodwinds, just woodwinds. <laughs> I like that. I've never heard it put like that, reeded instruments. So they're reed. So because oftentimes if you, obviously you look around my studio, I have lots mm-hmm. of 
guitar and guitar-like instruments from around the world. Mm -hmm. And I always say fretted instruments. Oh. So <laughs> anything with strings and frets, mm -hmm. I can pretty much play. And you're the same way. Anything with a reed or, you know, in that family. Or flutes, Or yeah. flutes, whatever. Yeah. I yeah. guess because flutes don't have reeds. <laughs> anyway, you can play it all. I love it. <laughs> so um, very cool. And in fact, I said to you when we met at the party, towards the end of the night, I said to you and Alex, I was like, you know what? We got to do a project we'll figure something out to play together on just to create fun stuff oh know? yeah and actually not to derail the conversation a little bit or derail the conversation already but um actually that was one of the things i did actually learn during the pandemic is how important it is for me to create music because mm. my whole life i always played other people's music and i was fine with that i really was and with the time during the that we had during the pandemic i started experimenting with things that I had never had the time to do before and it was just so fulfilling in a way that I didn't know I needed so yeah, yeah was so true I'm so glad you brought that up I'm gonna back up to the to the first question but sure. I, I want to address this while we're here yeah I've learned for over the years that if I'm not creating music in addition to performing other people's music I will shrivel up and die like, if I'm not creating something on a regular basis, I literally get so irritable. I get anxious. I get depressed. I get sad. I just, and, and the word irritable is really, is really applicable because I just find myself, like, being miserable if I'm not creating. And then I find if I sit down and I, I've written a bunch of songs and a bunch of compositions. If I sit down and play three or four of my songs... All of a sudden, it's a purge. It's a cleanse. This cathartic thing comes over me, and I'm like, okay, I can breathe now, and I can move on to the next thing. Or if I get down in my studio control center, and I create a cue, a 90-second cue, mm -hmm. you know, an underscore piece, I'm like, ah, oh, I feel better. You know, take 90 minutes or three hours and just do that, then all of a sudden, I'm like, now I'm, I'm normal again. Yeah, just taking some time to do what I wanted to do, right. what was making me feel fulfilled. Not that the other jobs and other things don't make me feel fulfilled, but it was just fulfilling in a different way. And especially one of the things I started to tinker with was arranging and playing with sound colors, that uh, putting together sound colors that people never combine. So all these instruments from around the world, I, w I wanted to see, well, what would it sound like if I put this flute from China and this flute from Africa and then this Irish whistle mm. and then, I don't know, like going on and on, you know, something from India. If I put that all together, what textures are you going to get? That was a really good experience for me to have. Right. Was right. To, to arrange and tinker and play with all these sound colors because now I can actually talk to composers or whoever wants to listen <laughs> about it. Um, I can articulate a lot more clearly like well what will work together and why it works together and now i even have examples to show them um mm -hmm. of well do you want this texture or that texture or this is has a mysterious sound or this can sound like this or you know on and on that's brilliant that's brilliant and that's why i'm so uh, uh focused on us doing something together because i do the same thing with all my stringed instruments yeah and you know what's it like to put a banjo with an oud you know, yeah, or what's yeah. it like to put a cavaquinho <laughs> with, you know, a uh, flamenco thing, you know, so yeah. absolutely. And I think we can definitely touch on some crazy things. So we got to do that in the future. Okay. But you just said something else. You said, then you use those as little sound bites to show composers mm -hmm. as examples. And let's talk about how you do that, because a lot of people 
um, have trouble putting together their body of work and keeping it archived and organized and accessible, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So what's the way that you found that works best for you? Um, the short answer is on social media. It, it, it's about thinking about who your audience is yeah. and getting those people to see your content rather than having a hundred million views and going viral because that's not always what you want <laughs> that's either. Right, that's, it's getting it's getting the material into the right hands exactly so that you can get work yeah exactly yeah. and that's actually i think that's perhaps one of the best uses of social media i agree that i've heard you know and it's great i love when i when, when i talk to guests such as yourself mm. that do that it's brilliant um I've started doing that over the years here and there. Mm -hmm. I haven't been consistently doing it. And every time I talk to somebody like you, I'm like, I'm like Homer Simpson. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got to do that. What's wrong? You know, so. yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it, it's it's different for everybody. Um, I was slowly doing it before the pandemic mm. and I ramped it up during the pandemic. Smart. I think it's extremely appropriate and 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 befitting for for you because your set of skills and instruments are so unique. Not everybody does what you do, let's face it, right? <laughs> so one of the rules of marketing is to find a niche of a niche of a niche, right? Mm -hmm. And then hone in on the niche and just, just do that instead of trying right. to be everything to everybody. And clearly you have done that. You are this niche market within a niche, the woodwind family, <laughs> the flute family, the world instrument taking it a step further. Right. It really puts the, you know, the, the nail in the coffin, so to speak. Sorry for the horrible uh, uh, pun there. But um, the thing <laughs> is, it's working because your work is film and TV music. And that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me you walk in the door today. We're making small talk. You're like, yeah, I'm doing. I'm working on this project. I just finished this film. I'm getting ready to do 123 cues on this. Yeah. I have to do 30 sessions for this. You know, whatever it is. It's like, yeah. what? It's impressive. And 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 again, I always tie it back to what the message is here as the career musician. It's what I've always run my whole life and business uh, modeled after my whole life. Right? Mm -hmm. Is building a sustainable career, empowering musicians with strategies for a sustainable career. Yeah. Not just saying, oh yeah, I got on this tour, I'm badass. I did this session, I'm badass. Guess what? When that tour or session is over, what are you gonna do now? And then the other <laughs> side, the flip side is the people that always put themselves down, that self-deprecation where they just don't think they're good enough. I, I just, I want, I would like to see the whole professional music community come somewhere to a middle ground. Because, I, so, so we did, I think it started in January, February of 2021. And mm -hmm. uh, Tim Davies called us both, and 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 the singer who was amazing as well. She's amazing. I can't remember her name. I can't. Oh, I, but she ah. sounded so good. Oh, she was so <laughs> dope. And it was the three of us that really comprised the voice of the characters in this TV show. Yes. And Tim was the overall composer and, and orchestrator and, and conductor to bring it all together. He was the ringleader. The, and, right. Great <laughs> way. And, 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 and he said that to us in several emails and communications. The three of you guys, you, you have these voices. We're going to we're gonna string them together. It's going to be amazing. And it came up beautiful. And then he threw the rap party. We go meet. We talk. And we're talking to you and Alex. And Alex brought a beautiful body, bottle of whiskey. I love that, by the way. Uh, it was so <laughs> it was tasty. Uh, and then and you were telling me, hey, at some point you, because you you learned that I was playing guitar, and then you learned about my career, and then you were like, hey, let me ask you about this because I'm kind of nervous about this situation, and mm -hmm. I don't even remember what I said to you, but whatever I said, obviously it was good. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. 
I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well... I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Okay. Well, actually, interestingly <laughs> enough, when we first started talking, a after the initial, we met, we couldn't find the front door, mm -hmm. we were trying to get up to the party. Okay, so after all of that, we kind of parted ways um, and you actually, I think we're talking to Alex. Yeah. And you and Alex started talking. Yes. And then when you, about this certain topic, and then you and I started talking about it a little bit later. Gotcha. And it was really interesting. But yeah. imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Oh, right. Oh, is that not what you were going to mention? That's what it was. No, that was it. Oh, okay. I just forgot exactly how it all transpired, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. yeah. So, I guess you and Alex, you you were talking to Alex about it for some reason. I wasn't part of that conversation. Yeah. But then, all of a sudden, you started talking to me about it. I shouldn't say all of a sudden, but later, right. um, you know, you and I started talking about it, and it couldn't have been more perfect timing because... I was currently feeling that at that moment <laughs> about... Right. And that's what you divulged to me. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. exactly. So, so, look, I talked about this with my wife. I talked about it with, with all my colleagues and peers and, uh, you know, all my friends over the years. Imposter syndrome. And it is, I think it is directly or, or indirectly related to uh, performance anxiety because at some point in our lives, and, and I'm, just, I'm just relegating it to being a session musician right now. Sure. As a session music, musician, it's our job to do anything on the spot immediately with that, without preparation. Yes. So we prepare our whole lives to be able to do that. Right. So we get called to do that, right? And that imposter syndrome comes from that. We have to be chameleons. So uh, John Powell said it best. I was working with John Powell mm -hmm. on Ferdinand maybe three, four years ago. Okay. Uh, and on a lunch break, I said, John, would you mind if I interview you for my podcast? And he's like, sure, let's do it. <laughs> so at the end of the interview, he says, listen, he said, my dad gave me these famous words of wisdom. You know you know the old uh, adage, uh, uh, jack of all trades, master of none? Of course, yeah. Right. He said, his dad said, jack of all trades, master of some. Mm. And he said, you have to you have to know how to do everything mm -hmm. and of course in your bag of tricks you're going to have three or four things that you are just the expert at but then you mm -hmm. might have 10 other things that you're not the expert at but you can do pretty well or you can dabble in them mm -hmm. and he said that's how you have to look at it and i literally had a sigh of relief and i said it on the podcast you can hear it. i forget which episode it was <laughs> it was early on i said john thank you so much i was like oh, i can breathe now it's like <laughs> he gave me the uh, uh, freedom, the right, the, the approval to not feel like an imposter. Mm -hmm. And that was my whole point to you. 
Yeah, yeah, no, and and it's one of those things. So you play lots of fretted instruments, right? As you and you said. played lots of you play lots winds of reeded instruments. Well, uh, reeded or, or winds. Or I play, yeah, okay. I play lots of winds, <laughs> and um, and it's really it's really tough juggling all of them. Yes, and I love what I do. Right. Um, because I love experimenting with so many different sound colors and so many different instruments and styles. Like there's so much beautiful music, beautiful color sounds all over the world that a lot of times people never even hear or don't even know that they're hearing it, um, like in a movie soundtrack or you know something right. like that. They, they don't even know that that's what it is that they're listening to. And so if I was to only play one instrument, I would actually get very frustrated mm. because when I was in college studying one instrument primarily and all the time in the practice room, no matter what I did, it didn't matter how many hours I put in um, and you have good days, you have bad days. I was never good enough. And you could say that now, even mm -hmm. being mm -hmm. diversified, mm -hmm. but I, I was so much more frustrated um, than I am now playing so many different instruments and if this instrument doesn't feel good that day well that's okay switch to another one mm. and and um and not only that i've been surprised what i've learned f from playing one instrument like say the turkish nay mm. where all of a sudden i had like an epiphany because i was trying to get a better sound a better tone i was experimenting with my embouchure and the direction of my air and all the stuff and all of a sudden i did something and i was like holy moly uh, that was all of a sudden my sound completely changed and then i had to try it on saxophone mm. now flute and clarinet so it, I'm, it's not even just transferring to like another flute of some sort but it transfers across to these other instruments and um it's these little discoveries that i'm making playing all these different instruments actually i think has made me a better musician overall because um sometimes when you study one instrument with one teacher or even a couple teachers, there tends to be different, there tends to be specific r schools of thought that you follow. That's right. And it's, it's, it's kind of like you do it this way and that person's And that's wrong. it, yes. Yeah. Very traditional <laughs> old school way of thinking, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So with me, that's kind of all gone out the window. Yeah, it Because I've had one teacher say, um, when I was studying just regular you know sa i don't want to say regular but you know sax flute clarinet oboe and i'm not going to say which teacher it was because i um but for one of the instruments um my teacher was saying um your rib cage expands when you breathe it expands like uh, you know all the muscles and tendons and stuff in there it's expanding and so you, that's what you should be focusing on and another instrument or another teacher on another instrument was like, what? No, your ribs, they're bones. Like, they don't move. You have to, you have to really focus on your belly and your belly should really be protruding when you're breathing. <laughs> and, and, and it's not that you couldn't kind of combine both those things, but the rib cage was kind of the sticking point. Mm. And I remember I was studying with both of them at the same time. This uh -oh. was in LA and I, I got a little confused and I told one with the one set and one with the other one set and they were both like, that's really interesting. <laughs> and they didn't, they, they, they weren't, they, they didn't negate, well, they yeah, kind of yeah. negated, but, but so I, they kind of negated what each other said, but I just kind of had to take what they were sharing and see what worked for me. That's right. And so that's what's been so, so cool about playing so many different instruments is is again i think it's made me a, a more open i don't want to say more open-minded but it's made me open-minded 
and to all sorts of different concepts and ideas. And man, I can make so many different shapes with my face to blow across these instruments now. <laughs> you oh, <wouldn't> believe wow. <laughs> That's so interesting you say that. I, I, I love that take with the different teachers. When I was coming up uh, studying guitar in New York and South Florida, I made it a point to study with as many different teachers as I could. Mm-hmm. Classical, jazz, you know, rock, right. fusion, pop, funk, R&B, whatever it was. Because I wanted all of those different opinions and perspectives. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a, it's a detriment to the student when the teacher is so adamant about only one course of study. Mm-hmm. I think that's just really damaging. Well, I think it can uh, it can work sometimes if you have a really good teacher student uh, pairing. Yeah. But people learn differently. There's so many mm-hmm. different ways to absorb information and to and to actually share that information. Mm-hmm. And so you could have ten people talking about. I don't know how to play the G minor chord on guitar. And mm. maybe this is a bad example because I don't play guitar, but like they could maybe have different positionings or they could have different yeah. ideas of what voicings are the best or what to do with your fingers or how to hold your wrist or your hand or what to do with the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. And they might all have slightly different ideas of what is best because maybe that does work for them. I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is perfect. When I was probably in ninth grade, maybe eighth, ninth grade, I asked one of my guitar teachers, I said, you know, I learned how to play all a G major chord in open position, but how do you play a G minor? And he couldn't tell me. Oh, specifically G minor? (laughs) He couldn't tell me. We call them cowboy chords or open chords, chords within the first three frets, all open, you use open strings with some fretted strings. Okay. And you you learn like uh, a D major and a D minor, Mm -hmm. an A major and an A minor, an E major and an E minor. Yeah. But when you get to G, you never learn the G minor, you just learn a G. And I'm like, Really? Yo, teach. His name, his name was Mr. Eck. Big shout out to Mr. Eck. Uh, I don't know. He'll never listen to this. Whatever. Uh, but I was like, Mr. Eck. He might. You never know. Yeah, there you go. How do you play a G minor in the open position? And he was like, nobody's ever asked me that. I don't know. I have to look at this. <laughs> so I guess the, the point is we have to explore everything. Well, no one person has the full picture. Right. And so, I mean, that's, that's part of... I don't know. I almost wish that at a university level, um, it was encouraged for students to learn different instruments within their family. And I don't just mean you're a flute player and learn other flutes, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about you're a flute player, learn some other woodwinds, mm-hmm. you know, for a year or something. Yeah. And some people listening to this might be like, oh my God, how can you say that? Mm-hmm. Um, because specifically with flute, there's a lot of flutists or people who play flute they might be doublers as well that you know were like oh i tried oboe but no it was messing with my embouchure or i tried to play the nay but oh no like it messed with my embouchure and i couldn't sacrifice that um like my the traditional flute embouchure specifically it's is more what, of a purist in yeah, that regard yeah yeah but the these people that i'm thinking of they're not all like straight flutists some of them do play other instruments as well so i'm so don't come for me whoever's listening for this you guys can, you guys can openly disagree like it's completely yeah. fine it just for me um i wish that there was a little bit more exploration of just creating sound in different ways because mm. you never know what you're going to learn 
Hi, I'm Ashley Jarmack, and I'm a career musician. Binge previous seasons of the Career Musician Podcast and subscribe for all new episodes. Subscribe to the Career Musician on Apple Podcasts. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, uh, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Gosh, that and that is the creed of every composer, producer, music maker, creator. Mm-hmm. That's what we live by, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I just feel like so many people, well, I'm, I guess we're kind of just going in circles now. I'm just going to repeat what we said, which is so many people are just stuck on, like, this is the one way you have to do it, and it's only this way. Right. And, I, and I guess the reason I'm bringing this up to, or why, why, why I'm bringing it up again is because one of the struggles I actually had, and I didn't know I had it, was my jaw was very tight. I, I had a lot of tension in my jaw oh, wow. when I played for years. Really? Like, like for at least all of my 20s. Okay? And, and this was including college. And I remember being in college and some of the other musicians, they, they're like, oh, like, my reads never work. Like, all these reads are bad or the mouthpiece. Or it was always something they're searching for better equipment and um i looking back on it i'm like clearly there was a lot of tension in the shoulders Mm. in the neck in the jaw and um so it was actually for me when i was referencing the aha moment with the turkish nay that was actually my jaw i actually experimented with just opening this back joint and, and by the way, I didn't realize that there was tension because I didn't know that there was. It was just how I had always played. So I had opened it up or I just, I was experimenting. And I remember relaxing this back here and I was like, wait a minute. Wow. Wait a minute. And then I went to all these other instruments. And I mean, you can ask some of my close friends because I was calling them up, up being like, oh my goodness. And they were very nice. And um, 
and and they would listen and they're like cool and then some of them would actually go and experiment with this, some of the stuff that I was sharing um but that was just one that for me personally like that was something that had I not wanted to pick up this instrument mm. with a completely different embouchure by the way anybody who um doesn't know what a nay is or a Turkish nay there are many different types of nay from different countries um you actually play they, well there's two different types of type I'm talking about. You actually play with a whistle like embouchure. Wow. So you have to, you know, kind of pucker your lips. Purse almost, your lips a little yeah, bit. Yeah, purse your lips in that way. So it's wow. not like playing saxophone, flute, clarinet, oboe, like like anything else. Wow. And and yes, there are there is for anyone out there listening, yes, there is another nay as well that's even trickier to play. Arguably that has a wow. totally different embouchure. It's because it was such a new embouchure for me to mm. experiment with. Mm such a new embouchure that I had to try things. I was experimenting with things that maybe I had never experimented with before with the chamber of my mouth and how my jaw was positioned, how my lips were positioned. So that I think was what partially led to that kind of epiphany about all this tension being held here and my neck and my shoulders. Um, and I think a lot of people do hold a lot of tension in their neck and shoulders and jaw. I mean, that's not, that's not me? uncommon. As but. you're talking about, I'm sitting here like stretching. I'm like, oh, I know. let me get that tension out. It's so true. I yeah. think musicians are not, you're right, human beings. We hold the tension, neck and shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm sorry to correlate everything you say to what I do, but, you know, it's but all we're about me. Com- no, we're, we're having, having a conversation. <laughs> that's part but of it. It's so true. It, it, same thing with hands when you're playing guitar. Uh, the wrists the elbow joints, and even some of the shoulder, you, you're you taught from an early to, from an early point on to be relaxed, no tension. And to get the fingers to move fluidly, you can't be tense. You can't grab the plectrum or the pick and be tense and like, I'm gonna do this. And if you do that, it's just gonna slow you down in the long run, and it can even create a more a muscular uh, issues. But see, this is the kicker, is that you're told to relax. You're told not to be tense. You weren't. But how do you know that that person really... Because we, uh, we're not, we're not superimposing ourselves on someone saying. else's body. So yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes... How so, do you so, know if they're actually adhering? Yeah, especially like, you know, especially here in the jaw. It's, it's hard like, to tell. You, it, yeah, you can't really see it. It's, it's like, Yikes. you know, think of your... Like, think of vocalists, for instance. Oh, right. How do you explain what's going mm-hmm. on in here? They've, you know, because you can't... Yes, right. you can touch and feel your throat and, mm-hmm. you know, different things on the outside, but you can't, like, stick your hand yeah. down someone's <laughs> throat to figure out what their vocal cords are doing. Right, 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 I mean, you shouldn't be yeah, doing that, at least. And you, and you can't see an x-ray of your jaw. or right, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's so ex- by explaining... It, and, and by the way, I didn't think that I had tension when I played. Mm. So... I've just been doing a lot of thinking about this because of my own journey Mm -hmm. in music. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people, they just don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So you can say, I am relaxed. Like, I mean, even (laughs) like, you know, you can... Yeah, I mean, you could say, you, you like, yeah, no, I am relaxed. And then you watch them and they're like this with their shoulders, mm. you know, when they're playing or something. Or how can you tell, like, how relaxed the, the muscles in the back of their neck are? You know, it's, and it's all connected. Like, everything in your body is connected. And so many people are focused on the external as in, okay, how fast can I move my fingers um, to play this lick or this line? Or, you know, they're focused on the end product and and their instrument that they're playing 
um, as that is the thing that's creating sound. Mm. And there's many students that I've told and just, uh, no, I, get, I was going to say people in general, but no, I think it's mostly students that I've said this to where I'll pick up, say the clarinet. I'll say, here, this is the cl- your clarinet. And I'm like, this is, this is an instrument, right? Or this, this is your instrument. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's my instrument. And I say, it's actually not. And I put it on the table and I said, that will never make sound unless you do something to it to make it make sound, essentially. Your so body is your instrument. Yeah, so your body is yeah. the instrument. Yes. And this clarinet, think of it as more of a way to... It's, it's like, did you ever have one of those microphones when you were a kid that you would like <laughs> yell into and it kind of like echoed or something? It was yeah. like one of those yeah, weird... It was so cool. I don't, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. But it kind of like distorted your voice or when you like sing into a fan or something like that. Sure. It distorts your voice. And I say, think of these instruments as a way to manipulate and distort the air that is coming out of your body. But every single thing that you're doing with your body affects that. Wow. And that's, and that's, I usually say that to kids because, you know, they're 10 and they don't want to, yeah. they don't want to listen to, like, why are you talking about your diaphragm? Why, slow down. Why are you talking about your belly? <laughs> why are you talking about your, you know, how I'm sitting? Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. This is the saxophone. I'm blowing into it. Like, it's fine. <laughs> and, um, and so that's a lot of times how I explain it is it's like, this flute, this clarinet will never, ever make sound on its own. That's great. It's, it's all you. Reminds me of a great story. The Chet Atkins, the famous guitar player. I don't know if you know who he is. Incredible, incredible genius, master of the instrument. He's since passed. Um, somebody came up to him at the end of a show and said, "Hey, man, Chet, man, that guitar just sounds great, man. What, what an amazing, you know, sound. It just sounds great." And and he puts it on the stand and he goes, "Oh yeah, how does it sound now?" Yeah, I like that. <laughs> because actually. it doesn't mean shit. The instrument doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's you, the it's human you. being, that finesses those sounds out of that instrument. Yeah. So along to support your, your exactly, point. and I think a lot of people like conceptually, like I mean, we say this, and people were like, "Well, yeah, of course," but to it's one thing to subconsciously like think about that. Yeah. Or to know that, subconsciously know that, I guess, and to actively think about it. Um, Because, I mean, gosh, when I was growing up playing music, and even in college, I was like, why are they telling us to do, like, Mm. these breathing exercises? Like, like, why do I have to do this? Like, I just want to practice my skills. I want to get faster, 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 you know, whatever. And now that (laughs) you're doing 123 cues in a week, now you know why. Oh, my gosh. Now you know why they made you do that. (laughs) No. Right? You're like, yeah. oh, wow, because it helps my performance. Oh, oh yeah. I thought you, know you what I'm might, saying? I thought you might play the scales faster yeah. and faster. No, I but, was like, but, no yeah. I'm saying when they teach you the whole, you know, yes. uh, 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 science behind it. Yeah. The biology of how it all comes together. Yeah, and I and I actually, growing up, I don't really remember. So, actually, I didn't have private lessons for most of my life um, growing up. And, you know, so college was really kind of my first, like, regular yeah. um, studying with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um but um, I sometimes, I don't want to say like I have a hard time with someone saying just do this with no explanation, mm-hmm. but I know that sometimes it helps me to know why they're telling me right. to do something. Right. And if they say to me when I'm 18, if, if a teacher says to me when I'm 18, well, you know, you have to take care of your body because like when you're in your 30s and 40s and 50s, it's like for the longevity of your health and blah, blah, blah. I, when I'm when I'm 18, 
like everything that bounces off of me, or sorry, it's, we're like yeah. rubber yeah, and glue. Yeah, it's like yeah, everything yeah, bounces yeah. off of our, us, and, and we're fine. And when you're 18, you never think you're going to be 50. You're no. Like, what the hell? That's old people. I'll never be. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you're, that's like ancient. Yeah. yeah it's, it's ancient. ancient. <laughs> it's prehistoric. It's prehistoric. Yeah, that's right. And so that never Jeez. really, so thinking about my health long term never really right resonated not that i'm not a healthy person but no, just think about it in that respect I get it. I get it. and injuries you know related to playing music i never that that just didn't resonate with me and so as i've gotten older um my desire to really create as beautiful a sound as i can on all these instruments not that i didn't want to do that when i was younger but has the desire the continued desire for that has kind of led me down that path mm-hmm. to finally realize wait I'm the instrument Mm -hmm. and to think about it that way. And I'll Mm -hmm. tell you so many kids when I tell them that they're like, what? Like, it's clear that like a little light bulb goes off. Now it doesn't mean that they do what I say, but they at least understand. And I can see that they're thinking about it a little bit more. American criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American scandal and American history tellers. Every week you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven and cruel criminals, fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Now I want to know, how the heck did you come out to L.A. and pursue a career and establish yourself mm-hmm. as an L.A. you know top session cat, you know, doing a lot of big film and TV and album work? Because so many listeners have the same aspirations and we all know it's not easy. Um, I do want to say thank you. That's very generous of you to say I'm a big studio cat. I, I think I'm a little I'm a little kitten right now, probably. Okay. So oh, L.A. studio kitten, <laughs> whatever you prefer. Yeah, there's still. Yeah, you're in, I'm, I'm, there's, hey, you're in the L.A. studio yes. scene at a very high level. Yeah, you would you. not be working with Peter Rotter and Tim Davies if you weren't. Thank so. you. And uh, myself, of course. And, and yourself. I mean, of course, of course. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, thank you. Um, but um, so what was your question? How did I get out to L.A.? Yeah, how did you do this? How did you say, okay, I'm going to go to L.A., I'm going to pursue it, and then all of a sudden, bam, you find yourself in the mix. Can know? I tell another short story instead of a straight answer? Please. Is that okay? Okay. Please. So all growing up, I played music, and, um, and, I, and I just kept doing I wouldn't even say it was my passion it was just I was good at it it was just something that um and and I was good at it by the way a lot of people talk about talent and like oh you're so talented Mm. I was good at it because I practiced a lot that's right because I was a very self-motivated kid sacrifice yeah Yeah. so it's like you know when you're a kid and they say practice 20 minutes a day 
And, um, but we actually had a sheet that, you know, you had to write the amount of time you practiced and my mom had to sign off on it and she wasn't going to sign off on it unless I actually practiced. I love it. So you better believe I practiced every day. Yeah. I I was so proud of myself. I'm like, I practiced on Christmas. I practiced on Easter. I practiced on, oh yeah, I practiced on 4th of July. Yeah. Everything. I practiced on all the holidays. I remember like having those thoughts. I was like, yes, I got it in this day, you know, whatever. That's awesome. So I was a very... Um, I had a lot of self-motivation and, and internal drive yeah. as a kid. And so I think that that's kind of why I stuck with music. It was a community like within the school that I sort of belonged at least. You know, I played music, so I kind of belonged there. Um, and then as I got older and I was in high school, it's like, okay, I'm going to go into music, but I'm not from Los Angeles. So I didn't really have a concept of what, I could do other than be a music teacher at a school, not even a private teacher, because I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have private lessons growing up. So I was like, well, I don't think I really want to be a teacher, mm. but yeah. maybe I'll go to college and study music and, and I could do that. Because again, my first instrument was saxophone. So even the idea of being an orchestral musician in an orchestra, that was completely off the radar for me. Huh. You know, I, I had no concept of that either. So I got to college and um i took a couple of education classes and decided you know by the way um i have so much respect for all the teachers out there that you know teach you know pre-k all the way through high school and beyond yeah. but i very quickly realized that, that that was not for me after taking up a couple of classes wow. and um and i became a performance major and my second degree was actually in Spanish and Portuguese because I love languages, and that's a whole other story. Wow! But how many languages do you speak? Uh, that well, English. <laughs> English, Spanish, Portuguese. Um, yeah, so I can do conversational Spanish and Portuguese. Portuguese, I have to kind of brush up on a little bit, um, and Spanish kind of comes and goes. I, again, like I need to, yeah. you know, once I kind of get going for a little bit, then I'm fine. And then um, I started learning some. Mandarin and but that, that's a whole other thing. Wow. Um, yeah, I I really like languages a lot. Yeah, that's cool. I love languages, but um, when I was in college, I still didn't really know like what. I, so the, my significance in saying that I was studying languages is I was like, well, maybe I'll go into translation and interpretation because mm-hmm. I still yeah. don't really know like what are you going to do with a performance major in classical saxophone. I still wasn't really sure what I was going to do in music if I was going to continue down that path, and. Then in 2006, I made the Disney All-American College Band out here in Los wow. Angeles. Have you heard of that band? Uh, no, but that's pretty cool. Anything Disney. Okay, huge. so I just started like subbing in a couple like little rehearsal bands, so big bands, you know, here and there. And I actually just worked at two music stores. And um, I, I actually, I, when I moved out here, I, st- I told myself I'm going to take one week kind of acclimate myself, you know, orient myself to LA and mm-hmm. where everything is. And then I just, first thing I did was actually just start applying. And this was after I got my degree, okay? Smart. My bachelor's degree. But, and I, I think my, I, I do want to say something to all the people out there listening who um, maybe get their degrees and they're like, oh, I'm not going to take this sort of job because I have this degree and I'm, you know, it's like beneath me or whatever people think. It's below my pay grade. Um, but yeah, I mean, I moved out to LA and, and I got two retail jobs at music stores. And one of those jobs I kept for eight years, by the way. And I, and it's not that I needed it ultimately, but I was working there like eight hours a week. And so what, what happened was I worked at these two stores, 
within six months I started getting students you know I was teaching for a while but but yeah but that's the story of how I got out to LA and then how I kind of started in LA so it's not like I started playing music immediately and I was in scene like so so the one thing that could have that could have made my life easier is maybe if I did actually get my master's out here because then you're kind of with a pot of other musicians, mm-hmm. you meet other people, maybe you start subbing on musicals or mm-hmm. um, big bands or, or, or you know, orchestras, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing. So I didn't actually have any of those connections at all. And the one lady I knew, um, I was really fortunate because even though she worked some of the top jobs in LA, she also kind of worked across the map and did a lot of other stuff like college musicals or whatever. So at some point she started having me sub for her a little bit here and there, just a little bit. And I would, and I started to kind of slowly meet people. Yet here you are an A-list session kitten (laughs) in the scene, doing the jobs, raking in some bucks playing some killer charts, sight reading your ass off, playing anything that's put in front of you, playing a plethora plethora of different instruments from all around the globe. Uh, I'd say you're crushing it. But uh, And you can't see this sitting on my desk here. What do you call these things? These are some toys that my dear friend got me from South America. What do you call yeah, these? Yeah, these are actually from, I believe they're from Ecuador um, because yeah. they, they look like pan flute, or they are like pan flutes. Pan flutes, yeah. But the style of pan flute, it's a... I forget if they're called rondador or ronador. Like, I'm, I'm forgetting if there's an extra yeah. vowel in there or not. So please forgive me, anybody so cool. who's listening. But they, it's but really yeah. hard to make a sound come out of them. Yeah, I it's mean. It's not easy, but. Yeah, these are. All right, these are, these are more like. <laughs> <laughs> these are more like. A... Oh, there you go. There you go. You're in some sounds. That's awesome. I've never made it sound that good. <laughs> Ashley Jarmack right here on The Korean Musician playing my souvenirs from South America that my dear friend Camille got me. Shout out to Camille and shout out to you, Ashley Jarmack, and everybody else that we mentioned. Thank you so much for being our guest. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was Absolutely. really fun. Now, where can people find you? On IG? Yes. Yeah, so you can just finally find me under my name, Ashley Jarmack, on Instagram or at YouTube under Ashley Jarmack. I'm also on TikTok. There you go. So, um, but I would say if you're really um, interested to, to see all these instruments and hear what I'm talking about, Instagram is the best place to find me. And I strongly encourage everybody listening to go check out Ashley's channel uh, because you're crushing it. I mean, just love the stuff. It's engaging. You will fall down Ashley's rabbit hole of watching her play instrument after (laughs) instrument for many minutes, if not hours on end. So beware. (laughs) But it's a fun process. (laughs) Well, I had fun making them, mostly. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me, and let's do it again sometime. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. 
and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.